Hi guys, welcome to Something Private, a podcast that's about everything related to the vagina. From sex to health and the society. My name is Nicole and I'm going to be your producer and your host. Happy New Year to all of you tuning in. We were supposed to publish this episode last Monday but it was overseas and we didn't want to rush it. I hope you guys had a really really great celebration. I was feeling quite anxious at the end of the year, especially around the last five days. Like, hadn't really sunk in that 2019 was ending. Context is that 2019 has been a really great year for me. But yeah, I travelled to Japan with some family and friends on the 30th of December. I tried the Tokyo pizza that was featured in Ugly Delicious on Netflix as my last meal of the decade. And therefore, all's well that ends well. I think 2019 um, is also the end of a decade, right? So I'm feeling like there's this big change coming about, but I can't really put my, my finger on it. Anyway, okay, before I launch into my whole unsolicited reflection about my feelings, I just wanted to introduce my guest for today. Some of you might remember seeing her on our Something Private Instagram story. Or some of you might remember her as the beautiful girl that was in this advertisement by Laniche called My Baby Love. Uh, I think I got your letter. <laughs> and I want you to know that I'm very flattered, even though I don't speak Korean. I've got a lot going on right now, and I'm not really looking for a serious relationship. Most of you will know her as Trishna Raw. She's a fashion journalist slash influencer from Singapore who is now based in London. Trishna came back this December for a short holiday and then we decided to come together to do an episode. We're going to be talking about the year, some highlights from 2019, discussing the decade, top moments, lowest moments, and chat a bit about our take on how 2020 is going to be like. Before that, I just want to talk about my year. Um, 2019 has been a big year for me because as you guys know, if you've been tuning in for a while, Something Private just launched this August and it's been a work in progress since the first quarter of this year. Something that, you know, me and some of my friends, my bosses have been talking about for a while. Launching a podcast has been something that I've been mulling over since early 2018. So I think we've come a long way. It's also been a huge year for gender equality in Singapore for sure. You know, in March, the government made HPV vaccinations free for 13-year-olds across the country, which is excellent. And as of last week, they also made confirmed changes to the penal code. Marital immunity for rape will now be fully repealed as well as decriminalising of attempted suicide. So that's excellent. I mean, on one account is to make sure that women feel safer in their own homes and marriages as well as for, you know, mental health awareness to continue to improve. And then in the region, you see the Me Too and Time Up movement growing from Singapore all the way to South Korea. Okay, I think I'm not going to do like a long recap um, right now of 2019 because Trishna and I are going to talk about it but I think the general vibe or feeling is that this is the year that we stopped giving a fuck and started standing up for shit that we believed in and it makes me feel really really good not only for the next decade but it kind of feels like a rebirth to me okay I know it sounds like super dramatic so I'm just gonna go on to the program my name is Trishna and I'm 25 years old. I have just graduated from London College of Fashion um, doing journalism, but I specialize in social media. I think that's always been where like my passions lie. I'm, I, I guess I'm an, I'm an internet person. <laughs> it sounds really creepy, right? But I've known you since 2015 or maybe oh, even earlier. I knew you when your handle was like... Trishna Raw. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about like 
why Chishnam Raw? What was the... Don't even ask. I don't even know why. <laughs> but it's quite iconic, like, I have to say. Like, it is, right? Yeah. It's a terrible name. Yeah, like, <laughs> when I tell my friends like, I'm, de- I'm interviewing you, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm interviewing Chishnam Raw. Like, oh. Yeah, no one knows me as my, as my, as my real name. Everyone <laughs> just knows me. You know what? My friend from uni thought that Raw was my, like, actual last, last name, name. Oh. he thought it was like Trish now and ends with an R and then AWR was like my surname I was like no <laughs> <laughs> I tell this story to everyone because everyone asks me oh how come we have so many Instagram followers and I say to them oh actually I've been on Instagram a long time I kind of jumped on that wave when we first started having Instagram in Singapore everyone no one really took it seriously and I think I remember it was in Polly where I started feeling like, ooh, I want kind of want to document my outfits. I think I look great. Looking back now, they were horrible outfits. Like, my taste has changed so much. But I think that was quite important for me to look at that journey. Um, and I think Instagram was very helpful with that. I got like maybe a thousand followers in second year. And that was a big deal. That was when I had my one of my first few like um, actual paid posts. Really? Yeah, I was very like... With oh like God. a thousand followers. Yeah. I had my first one. And that, back then it was like... Back then to me it was a lot of money. But now I'm like, oh, I would never do that again <laughs> for that amount of money, you know? I've had my life on a public platform for like 10 years now. I just think I've reached the stage where I don't want to share as much anymore. But I still have that kind of like pressure to be like, oh, I need to post and keep my engagement up. You know, this is also like, I'm like conflicted. Like, oh, actually, this is also kind of how I live and like how I get jobs and how I get recognized for jobs. You know, mm. I feel like I just need a balance between still keeping it up and but not also not taking it like that seriously because I know that I just, I can't do it as a full-time job. I think even a few years ago, I was kind of looking at the smaller influencers and I'm like, oh my god, at your age, I did not look like that. Nothing wrong with that, but you can just, it's just a sign of how much has changed, how much social media has kind of like changed our lives. But then on the other hand, it's good because you see rise to all these platforms that actually should have been there a long time ago, like your podcast mm. and so many other Instagram accounts that you see now and you're like, oh, that's what we need. That's you know? true, that's true. So it's not all bad, I Yeah, think. I guess it's really how you use... Like yeah. your your social media, right? It like really how is. You it's, it. it's a weapon. I, I say it all the time. I say it's a weapon. It's whether or not you use it for good or for bad. In this year, I, I hit 24k. And now I'm at 19.9. And at first, that hit me quite bad. I was like, what the hell? Like, why am I dropping? But then after a while, I was like, actually, I... You know what? Never mind. Forget it. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I still treasure all these people who have been following me from day one. And if I can have these people and have all these, like, very honest conversations in my DMs, which happens a lot then that's the only thing that matters, right? Because I feel like if I can be that kind of voice or like someone to look up to, to at least one person, I'd be like, great. And for me, that has helped me not get upset or not feel like, oh, I'm not doing a good job. Mm. You know, it's, yeah, it's very weird. Like, it's very conflicting sometimes. It's like, I don't care, but oh no, <coughs> I care. I have a love-hate relationship like, with social media. I, I really, it. really do. I think my focus now, I know that it's on, it is on social media. I am also a creative. Like, I love creating content. I love taking photographs I love making videos but then I feel like now I'm in the capacity of wanting to do all these things applying all these strategies all these ways of like you know marketing to a different audience to brands and so that's why I kind of want to change my career into that direction of like social media strategy social media manager like that's kind of what I want to do for a brand I always say like I I always wear a lot of hats Mm. and it's very hard to pinpoint one and I think for the longest time I thought oh should I be pinpointing on one thing but no, I don't think so. I feel like I'm comfortable doing everything. 2016, I think I I moved to London to do my degree in fashion journalism, which was a, a very 
great experience for me. I think that helped me as well. And yeah, I'm graduate. I'm a fresh grad. <laughs> Same. I'm probably one of like the oldest in my class, but um, it's okay. Everybody <laughs> blossoms at their own time. Would you say like that was a big jump for you, or like a difficult decision to make, or was it like a good decision to leave Singapore? <laughs> I wasn't expecting to go to uni. I had just left a terrible, terrible job, and I was like quite lost right now. And I was like, what should I do? And then the opportunity came. And I was very grateful for my parents financially. We were in a good place so that I could go. And I was like, great, I'm going to go. I've always loved London. And I've always wanted to move and live overseas. And I think moving there now is the best thing I've ever done for myself. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me, moving to London. Some people might see it as it was a time that you were at your peak in terms of mm. influence in Singapore. Yes. And then you're like, mm, you know what, bye. I always tell these people, but 2016 was my year. I tell this to everyone all the time. And it's funny that you should say that now that I left that that year. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird adjustment. But I think I was always just meant to move overseas. I think I always felt that way. And I think moving overseas kind of gave me that perspective on my life and what I actually really wanted to do. When I move, it's kind of when I realised, oh, actually, like, yeah, I love sharing my life on social media, but it took me away from actually enjoying these moments. In the past one year, I felt like I had to ground myself a little bit, and which is why, like... I wasn't really like posting very much but then I would still kind of appreciate all the jobs that I would get like I would still put my heart and soul into it and I feel like that's mo- most important to kind of like treasure the things that you get and then do the best and then I wouldn't fight for it it's just a bit of a balancing act okay I think one very obvious thing is that in Singapore like if you're talking about the business of like influence right the beauty influencers mm-hmm. you are one of the only few that is not Chinese, right? Yeah. Okay, I think there's like two ways to look at it. It's either you look at race or like, okay, I like Chinese, Malay, Indian, then I wouldn't be the only one because I know there are so many other like Malay beauty influencers. But then if you look at skin tone, which I think is also important because I think I'm like the darkest. (laughs) I can't think of anyone else Mm. right now from the top of my head, but I think in terms of colour... I'm definitely one of the darkest. Um, And for me, that was very important that I pushed my way to the front. Like, hey, you know, I want you to work with me because you don't have anyone else who looks like me. But you know, I've been thinking about this for the longest time. I always ask myself, why are there no other minority influencers in Singapore who are not... Not saying that being fair is like wrong, but like range of skin tones. Because yeah, it's not just about your race. It's also also like this play of like colorism as well. You know, sometimes I see campaigns and I just see everyone who's just very fair-skinned. And it's great that, oh, you know, they use um, someone who is, like, Malay and Indian. It's like, okay, that's so progressive for Singapore. But then I want to see more diverse skin tones. And so when I and when I speak to these people, like, hey, why never? They're like, I can't find any. <laughs> like, I really can't find. I tried and I really can't find. And I was like, actually, that's true. It's hard, you know. And I think, like, hey, where are all these other Indian influencers out there? Like, can you come out, please? Because the world needs you. The Singapore needs you. I can't be the only one. Like, I need my squad of, of, of girls. It's sad. Like, come on, guys. Like, come out. But then that's the kind of thing where, like, who knows? Maybe there are people trying to get into this, but then they feel like, oh, actually, I'm not fair-skinned, so therefore I can't. I can understand how they feel, because like, it's hard to get into an industry. It's unfamiliar that on the surface looks like they don't accept people like you. And that was how I felt when I first joined. But I think I was lucky because I knew some people in the industry and I think these people really helped me to grow my network a little bit. So would you say like that being how you are was a advantage? 
being how I am in terms of whoever you are that's like not the mainstream Chinese it know? was I think I think it was very slow growth because it was only after a while I started getting more like beauty stuff and everything um, and because I was like interested in doing fashion and then I did all these like fashion internships and everything after I did my first fashion internship and I met some of my most treasured mentors and from there it kind of like grew and I just fit myself in places and everything and yeah I was grateful but it took a while and like I don't see it now but like if I sat down and looked through my whole Instagram I would see that it took me a long time probably maybe you know last five years maybe but I must say like I'm very grateful for all these brands who have worked with me, like they've been amazing. But I think there's a lot that needs to still be done in terms of the beauty influencer industry because like so many times I get my shade and it's not my shade. (laughs) And it's lighter or darker. But there's some brands who really, really just like, you know, go the extra mile to say, okay, you know, is this the right fit? Can I get you another one? But you still see that that's a bit of a problem where it's not really much of the um, company that's at fault, but it's the shades that they stock. Mm. You know, it's just so many different layers of all these things where you don't really look at if you are not in a place to... If you're in a privileged place, you don't have to worry, oh, if, oh I just get... Uh, it's fine, it, it suits my shape. And so many wasted foundations I have at home and I'm like, oh my god, this is too light for me. And I think it was a long time I was wearing the wrong shape. And I was like, fine with it, because I was like, oh, you know, I should be grateful, right? But I think after a while... I started being like, oh, can I get another shade, please? Can I get actually shade matched? Can I go down to your store and shade match? And then, you know, I will do that. But yeah, not saying that all brands like that. Like, most brands are, like, actually very accommodating to that. Were there any struggles, like, growing up, you know, in Singapore? Like, like it's so interesting. I have another colleague who's very beautiful also. But she's not here today, sadly. She's overseas. (laughs) Um, she's a Punjabi. Okay. She was just sharing with me, so I never thought that she was insecure about anything, right? But yeah. she was sharing with me that day, she was like saying that she was very insecure about her skin. And she was insecure, like, in her 20s. Right. Like, not when she was younger, she was okay. It's only when she grew up, then she mm. started to, I guess, get more exposed to, like, beauty and fashion, right? Online. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, she went to consult this, like, skin specialist and say, like, you know, is there something that I can do? In terms of, like, that. In terms of like lightening her skin? I think so, I think so. Oh. Yeah, she, she was telling me she paid quite a bit for it. I was oh, like, no. yeah, but she's very beautiful and like I, she was saying that it's just something that she, well, it, which was it, interesting. Is it like something that's like ingrained in her? A bit, but I think it's because like she was sharing that her family kind of pressures her also because I think her younger sister is like this like fairer hey, than I can, her. I can relate to that, man. Yeah, then they're like, why are you so like, why are you so dark? I think the one thing I've learned, right, in terms of family, I can really, really relate to that. Because I am the darkest in my family. Like, nobody really makes a deal about it. It's not a thing. Um, obviously, people in the, of the older generation of your family will make comments, lah, right? Not in a bad way, but like just as a... For them, it's the norm. But for obviously, for you in the younger generation, it's obviously like, no. Like, if it's my family, I just learned to deal with it. But I also made sure I didn't let myself feel like, oh, I'm so dark, I'm so dark, mm. you know? Like, the norm was to be fairer but for me it wasn't an issue it was never an issue for me like I didn't look at myself and think oh my god I'm so dark I'm like oh great like I, I liked my I liked my I, li- I liked my skin tone but like everyone else didn't like it in terms of like in when I went to school and whatever I think my family never gave me that pressure to feel lighter it was always all these like small comments like oh you know you need you need to wear long sleeve you know you cannot go in the sun too much um, I just learned to ignore that. You but know. it's not like discrimination. No, it's not discrimination. It's just like all this nonsense. You yeah. Know, like, I, I'm sure like other Indian families can relate. 
I think for me it was like in school where it was just more um, where it hurt more because I was like yeah I was bullied all my life man not so much secondary school but in primary school really and it was just for the way I looked and I think at that point you're like what's wrong with me okay and also another thing I feel like has influenced my identity but also made me confused is that I I speak Chinese and it has been my mother tongue since I was like in kindergarten Mm. not because I'm Chinese or like anything but my mom grew up in a time where if you didn't speak Chinese as your second language, you wouldn't succeed. Uh, that's what her mom grew up in. Um, and so when I was younger, she was like, okay, you're going to take Chinese. So me and my sister are the only ones in the family who take Chinese and the rest of my family uh, speak like Hindi. Or Because I spoke Chinese, I like naturally like kind of like vibed better with like my classmates, right? Because we go to Chinese class, like... You know, and that is like one of the things that kind of like influenced my identity. Like primary school, I felt more Chinese than I was Indian. Inside, I felt Chinese, but outside, I was Indian. I don't feel that way anymore. I know it's a kind of thing where you unconsciously take in. And I know there's like many people who are Indian who take other languages as well. And I think now, 25 years later, I feel a sense of loss because I I could have grown up with a very different identity. I wish I grew up more Indian in that sense. So I kind of, in the past few years, have been trying to reclaim my identity back. It's a very strange feeling to feel like you're damn Chinese, but actually you're not Chinese, you know? But yeah, I, just, I was just bullied by my uh, friends in primary school. I was like the cool one, but then, you know, I'm Indian, so I'm not cool. They had all these kind of names for me, la. like they would call me like Kane, because I was like brown and like skinny, you know? Like, <laughs> so stupid, right? I was just really really bullied and it was like a horrible like um, time of my life because at that point of time my parents were going through a divorce so it's like in school at home it was a shit time man but funnily enough I'm friends with them now like after graduation they apologised to me and were like very good friends so it was a weird learning journey but I think that scarred me a lot growing up and like kind of like unsure of yourself and like you know who am I oh I still remember I went to my friend's house once to stay over and like um, and I still remember when her family was eating dinner or something they were like I don't know if you, you guys say like Tia mm. do you say that? Mm, like to yeah. say like oh like everyone yep, eat yep. right? Oh, obviously I don't know that right? Uh, and then some, and her grandmother was so offended I didn't say it she told her friend like never to bring that Indian girl to the house anymore I was like what the hell auntie I don't know <laughs> yeah and it's a dialect thing yeah. yeah and it's also like I felt like there were so many other, it's like a very small thing but because I was visibly different, I'm very hyper-aware that I'm visibly, like, different. How did you manage to reconcile the struggle between feeling one way on the inside but, like, looking another way on the outside? I feel like it's, a, it's still an internal struggle, but I deal with it better now. I can't say, oh, I'm very Indian now, because then how do you measure how Indian you are? For me, I just try to repair, like, all these old wounds. I can't undo the fact that I have learned Chinese for my whole life. So I gotta make peace with both sides and also put more importance on feeling and being Indian. Because I didn't speak Hindi or I didn't have that kind of, like, life. I feel like, oh, did I miss out on that growing up? I can't change what has already happened, so I'll just kind of reconcile for my future in that sense. Mm. Learning Chinese for me, I felt like it helped me a lot, but then that's a very sad thing to say, isn't it? If you had to have children, would you? I think someone asked me the other day, like, what would your children learn? And I'm like, I don't know. I think it also depends on where I'm raising them. I don't know. And Is also then something? they mm. will know when all these other stupid uncles and aunties are like bitching about you in Chinese, because that's how I like 
would listen to them. So many times, like even in my own housing estate, there was an auntie who, because I didn't see her, I didn't open the lift, she just called me at Tao Tiwai in Turan. Then what do you say to her? I just stared at her. She was holding her kid's hand and I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, you just sat there in front of your kids. Yeah! Why do you, what, have you ever said like, um, excuse me, like... Yeah, I said, hey, what could you Yeah. Yeah. Then are they like, ooh, ooh, ooh. They just look at me like, damn shocked. I wonder thought it'd be about like, the campaign also, because like, <laughs> it's very interesting. I mean, clearly that campaign is about... Like, like my baby love. Yeah, like being <laughs> different and yeah. stuff like that. It feels like you are... You don't feel like an angry minority. In fact, I feel like you recognise it, but you are also quite... Yeah, you're just not angry, uh, but, you know? Okay, I also feel like angry minority, right? It's also a very bad term, you It know? is, it is. I can't believe I said that. That was yeah. so rude of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable to think about it in that way. Mm. I th- okay, you I think know? where I'm coming from is I feel that with the whole Chinese privilege thing mm. booming in the last like two years, right? I recognise it. And yeah. I feel like it's definitely uh, something that we have to work on. But at the same time, I feel like when I want to have conversations, because I went for this like, I went for this um, event, understanding like, identity, Chinese, Indian, Malay, mm-hmm. and others. I was for the first time like a uh, minority race there. Right. It was like maybe 80% other races and yeah. like, the remaining like 20% or less Chinese right and I just felt like I couldn't say what I wanted to say but I just felt like they, was, they were all very angry and like very charged right and angry at the Chinese people I felt like if I didn't say like yeah you know fuck Chinese people <laughs> they would stone me but you know why right yeah I mean I'm angry so man I feel mm. we're all angry but it's because we've just never ever had a platform this lack of privilege law I mean we're not so fucking angry all the time but it's just a, it's just injustice you know that just yesterday like my uncle was driving me home and talking about how you know when he was younger like the Chinese won't speak to him blah 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 like just listening to that like like an older man still like harbour that resentment not resentment but harboured those feelings of when I was growing up like nobody wanted to speak to me because I was Indian just goes to show how much of an impact it has on someone's life so I feel like the anger is warranted but then it's seen by other people as like, yeah, why you need to be so angry for? And I and I, I, I hear people say, hey, why he everything so like, why is he so charged up about everything that is... I think it's good. I feel like people need to be shook, you know, and woken up and be like, this is going on. But I get what you mean. It can feel a bit intimidating. You want to say like, hey, I'm an ally. I feel like in that those kind of situations is the, the best thing to do is kind of like just, I don't know, like give them their voice, you know? I am angry lah, you know, mm. I am an angry minority, like I will just say it because it has really impacted or like kind of changed my, it has just made me feel that Singapore is not my home and uh, it's a very weird feeling, even coming back I just felt very disconnected and it's very sad to say that oh you know, it's a place where you were born and bred doesn't feel like home to you. I just feel like it's just not my way of life anymore. Yeah, I feel like people will be like, yeah, yeah, she's so like lame. Oh, she's so like, mm, she's so high and mighty. She moved to London. She doesn't come back anymore. But I feel like it's because I have kind of found my footing and I found a place I feel like I belong. My friends and I always talk about it and we say that the feeling of being in a country where you like, quote, belong um, and then having to deal with all these microaggressions and like Chinese privilege and everything it's way worse than being in a foreign country and also being the, the foreigner. In London, I'm a foreigner. Like, I'm not English, I'm not British, I'm Indian. But I don't feel like there's a distinction. I, I, I don't know, it's just a weird feeling. I feel like, oh, this is where I want to be, this is where I belong. Mm. But in Singapore, I just can't help but to feel like I'm a sore thumb. I stick out like a sore thumb. It's not that, oh, I want to be with white people. But it's like, I don't even belong in my own home. Mm. So I'd rather make my own home. 
mm. elsewhere. Mm. So that's like kind of how I've been feeling for the past like few years. Mm. That whenever I come back, I just feel I kind of like regress back to who I was, and then struggle with that kind of identity where I'm actually here. Tell me a bit about working and dating in like Singapore. Oh my god, <laughs> it's the worst. Okay, it's the worst. <laughs> I have a very good Indian friend who is like he was telling me about his own experience with dating online. Yeah. As an Indian, and like I think he's a very handsome guy. He's tall. He's like muscular, athletic, smart. But because like he's quite dark skin, I've known him since secondary school. So like I mean, people always laugh at him. Ah. they say like you're like chocolate or like damn dark or like. Hey, they... chocolate is good, man. Chocolate it's tastes tasty, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he went to NS, went on Tinder and everything. Like he didn't get any matches, and all his like inferior Chinese male friends who were fugly. Yeah. And I can oh say fugly because they were. They were getting like a lot more matches, yeah, you know. Man, hey, I can relate. Eh. And he was like fucking much that he was like. What is this? <laughs> but in, eventually, he's he's now dating like a, another Indian girl who's yeah. very beautiful also. I think it took him a very long time. He was very angry. Dating as a minority in Singapore is very, very hard. Or rather, it was very hard for me. And I'm sure... I think some people will disagree. Some people will agree. Mm. Some people just feel like, oh no, we had it like this. It was fine for me. But I get all these like DMs in my inbox about how they used to date and like it was very hard for them. Dating was just the hardest thing for me to do in Singapore. The most... Like, the pivotal, like, moment, right, was when I really, really liked this guy. This guy I liked for a very long time. And everybody knew I liked him. I liked him a lot. And I was very close to him. And so one of my friends one day was like, you know, he wanted to know, hey, you, you like Trish, is it? Because you guys are always together. And you know what he said to me? He said, oh, no, uh, uh, I cannot I cannot like her lah. I mean, we're not same skin colour. And then he just like touched his arm. Like, hey, these are not the same, you know? And I still remember my good friends at that time were trying to tell me, but they couldn't. And I was just like, can you just tell me? And when they told me, it was just like a, oh, okay. It didn't really hit me. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but you accepted I kind of f- accepted it. And that kind of stayed with me for years even like for the past few years it was like kind of like an unlearning for me I think a lot of things in life I had to unlearn and be like no this is wrong like mm. you know like you accepted that like oh it's okay for people to it's not okay for like people to say that yeah because oh, of my skin colour yeah that's also a problem I have like oh you know eh, he was a very handsome or like she was a very pretty Indian girl you don't say that about Chinese girls what? you pretty just say oh she's a pretty girl, girl. Yeah. you know mm, but true. you don't have to say oh she's a pretty Indian girl it's true it's a lot of all these I think a lot of it has to do with terms that people use that can come off as like oh it's not the norm so you have to say it mm. I must say that it's not only that it's not only guys who like guys I liked who would say these things to me it's also some of my church leaders who would say very weird things about my skin colour and I still remember these things and funny enough 10 years ago it didn't make a big deal to me. But can you imagine, like, 25 years old, I can still remember these things. Like, I remember we went to Israel for a church trip, and we went to the Dead Sea. Yeah, it was an amazing trip. But I remember, because you can use the mud to, mm. like, put on your skin, right? Exfoliate. And I still remember, like, they were they just put it all over their skin and their face, and then they just kind of, like, called over to me, like, Hey, Trishna, hey, look, we, are, we look like you now. It was just, yeah, my church friends, and also maybe one leader, you know? And I'm like, oi, but back then, you don't think that's wrong. Mm. Back then, you're just like, ha ha, laugh it off, die inside a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but these are just things that stick with you. Um, mm. You you just get remembered as that Indian girl mm. or that pretty Indian girl. Kind of like having that label. So I just want to be a normal person. Like, can you just, you know, I'm Trishna. Mm. Nothing else to that. But then also, you 
your like racial identity becomes a part of you more than it should you yeah. know you are always that Indian influencer yeah. that Indian girl I never grew up being aware of my yeah my race okay you know what really annoys me is that when Chinese Singaporeans like we, we, we go overseas and we study and then we complain about how we get treated hey, like you know, in a racist uh, yeah way. racist and whatever and I think to myself you know that's how you guys treat people like me in your own in our own country sometimes I want to say that guys like you know this is how we feel every single day for most of our time growing up mm. I still walk into a room and feel very conscious that I am the only one there who looks like that in Singapore guys just will not swipe on you because you're Indian you know what I mean I've dated guys who have said to my face after dating me for four months he said oh actually I don't think we'll work out because you know you're not the kind of girl I can bring home to my parents because they don't like Indians or something like that Mm. I'm thinking to myself hey you dated me for four months you didn't know I was Indian I was dating guys like that eh. I I believe that like people who quote like racist when they were younger probably didn't know any better but if they tell me now like hey look I want to mend my ways I want to kind of like be an ally I want to learn you know I'd be like, great, I won't cancel you in that sense. Like, if you are really willing to learn or if you're really willing to be an ally, then I will accept you. But then also you have to see in, in the times where we need allies, like, where are you? That stupid, like, brown face, like, mm. ad. Like, don't even get me started. I was, like, happy and I was disappointed at the amount of my own friends. Like, they stood up for the minorities, like They said, like, hey, this is a shit. Like, how dare you do this? But then I also saw a huge amount of people say like, hey, this is just an ad, what, what's wrong with it? Mm. So I feel like it's in these times where, because you guys are the majority, right? It's in these times where you must stand up and you must use your kind of like power and voice to be like, no, this is wrong. Imagine if the whole of Singapore says, hey, this is wrong. Then obviously someone will do something about it, right? Mm. But I don't know, maybe to the government, we're like such a small, like insignificant voice where mm. they, you know, didn't really do much about it. And now you know, you know, it's like all people's true colours come out mm. and you know where like Singapore stand. Singaporeans can only understand if we have such a strong kind of like a slap on the face. Yeah, basically. like slap in the face. You know, Britney has always been known for her like like her satire, right? Like in her videos and everything. And maybe at that point of time, that was the only way to kind of deliver that message. Like, oh, you know, like so. I I must say that I one hundred percent support her intentions. I support what she does in a sense, like quite necessary. Her video really, you see how people really are. And it just really, it just really offended me when people were like, how dare she do something like that? I'm like, this only goes to show how much you guys don't know your privilege. Many people have very mixed opinions on what happened. But I must say that her intention behind it was only for the best. She didn't, she didn't do it for just because she wanted attention. She yep. did it because it was needed to kind of like shake this conversation and like wake up Singapore. Maybe to me, I would not have done it in that way but if because, it was yeah, you la. but because I am different from her you know I feel like what happened to her as a result of what she did was very unfair and that already shows how mm, much I think so injustice there is you yeah. know it's like la. she's the only one who actually even dared to say something Correct. like that good on her yeah. so when it all happened I was just very sad and I just really, didn't really want to say anything because it it. Just, it's very noisy yeah. yeah but not only that it just felt like I saw something my friend said that I related to and he was like I'm so tired of these things happening now is the time for you guys, like my like allies, like our like Chinese, like um, Pan Asian like, allies, to kind of step up because we are just so tired of having to deal with this like minorities. Mm. I think that really summed up how I felt. I, I want to see more of my people who have power and influence, who are not minorities, say something about it.
I shared something about um, like business or fashion shared about how you know if Gen Z and millennials don't like to work in an environment where they're not being respected I shared that because I was like hey that's so true and I felt like that was so much of what I had in my first full-time job and I had so many microaggressions in that job not even from my boss but like someone who was like the office person and so when I shared that I had so many comments being like oh my god yeah like I, this happened to me once blah 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 imagine like my like 19k people and like a percentage of that coming to say like hey I've had this before imagine like the rest of the Singapore the rest of the world you know it was just very small snide comments like I still remember that um where I worked we had like I was the new girl right um and just the office lady just treated me like piece of shit lah like she would say things like very stupid like things that made me feel like huh like she would say things like oh that I'm we had a coffee machine and like a bit of it dripped on the floor not by me and she would like Skype message me things like hey um you know there's a bit of coffee on the floor like could you please clean that up I don't know if you know but we like to work in a clean environment yeah Pegro. I'm like you going clean lah like you know like it's not me you know it's really not me and just small things like that, like, oh, Trishna, can you do this? Can you do that? Like, she would never do that to anyone else in the office. Well, I still remember this, that it was most obvious when we had an intern who was white. And the office lady would make coffee for her in the morning, like, oh, do you want coffee? Like, I'll make for you. I'm like, hey, you never offered that to me at all in my life, okay? <laughs> in fact, you made me clean the floor. <laughs> yeah, you made me clean the floor. And I'm the full-timer here. Mm. So small things like that, you can be, you know, like, and just very small comments that I would hear my boss make sometimes. Just very weird comments. You just you look and you think, okay, that was not okay. But it really affected me. Even now, till this day, I go to my new workplace and I have so much workplace anxiety because of that first job. Because I feel like I'm not good enough because I'm Indian. Mm. I, I used to go for therapy when I was in school. So they would offer us um, like four sessions. It's not enough lah. But I think that also helped me calm down and like kind of understand why I feel the way I feel but for me now it's like when I go into workplaces I make sure that I feel comfortable in the workplace or I feel like I can go to my boss to speak to her but I've never ever felt that way in London no surprisingly I've never felt like I'm an outsider I've always I mean yeah I am an outsider because I speak differently um, everyone you know kind of speaks with a like an English accent and then I come here with my really broken trying to be English but not English you know kind of accent so that in itself already is like a big distinction that you're not there mm. you're not one of them but it's not it doesn't bother me it's like it's different when you're in Singapore and it's like you're the same but you're not mm. I just kind of deal with it and I kind of like I, I, I would get really sweaty and I'll, my heart would beat really fast but then I, I, I just have to assure myself like it's not the same it's not the same it was my dream job and then it kind of just and then I kind of question like if it's my dream job then why is it working so, so bad mm. yeah and I knew that maybe I was just meant to go overseas I was just meant to move yeah but I, I felt like a sense of achievement because it was my first it, I hadn't even graduated from poly and I got the job so for me it was like oh you know that's so great yeah but I was made, made to feel like this small insignificant girl but yeah I'm glad I left man I made a decision to leave because my boss was causing me just so much, like, first of all, emotional blackmail. And just emotional abuse, you know, like, just always dangling a carrot on a string in front of me. Mm. 
and I think she just thought that I was some you know someone she could boss and bully and then I was like no I'm going bye and that for me was a very hard decision to make I was so sad I cried so much and I think for me the lesson was to kind of stand up for myself yeah and I and I was glad I did it but you know what's sad that like I have um I know of people who in the past have come to tell me that like they still get these microaggressions in today's day and age and I always tell these people like, oh why don't you confront whoever said that but saying that I know that if someone said that to me back then I would be so scared mm-hmm. because you're like kind of outnumbered but I think it's important to put people in their place the best way I deal with like people who say microaggressions or like people who are racist to me is like just make it not funny like oh sorry like like you know if they make a joke like oh haha the lights are off I can't see you which is like a classic right I'll just look at them and be like oh what do you mean by that like oh was that meant to be a joke like it's not really funny and then you kind of embarrass them and they were like oh shit then they kind of have to explain like yeah. why it was funny they and then like, like because you have to explain it's like stupid yeah. they were like yeah because you know you're Indian I'm like oh but how's that funny how's that funny <laughs> yeah it's not funny <laughs> that's a good one yeah that's a good yeah like, just make them you, feel stupid yeah then they will never do it it's 2019 like these jokes are old like it's get over true. it get over it it's true like, I still get surprised when people say these jokes that I'm actually uh, like really surprised I think re- someone said that to me last year and it was a boyfriend of a friend and when he said that I was like oh my god how old are you you're still making these <laughs> jokes it's been a decade how has it like been for you mm. I feel like I've learned and I I feel like this 10 years has been a journey of like learning and and unlearning. I had to unlearn a lot of things in like work, in like my own identity and also in love, in relationships. It's been a weird it's been weird 10 years, man. Especially for social media. I've kind of seen it at the uh, when it's like nothing and now it's everything. And the way it's changing is changing so fast, you know, like and I'm glad to have seen it from the start and now like where I feel like it's the peak and I feel like I want to see how it grows in the new year and how we learn to use this tool for the better but I feel like next year will be the year of like progression I feel like these 10 years for me personally it was like a lot of trial and error a lot of growth but then now I feel like I'm gonna like hit the accelerator and I'm gonna speed you know what I mean like Mm. I know exactly what to do what not to do like I've learned you know and I wanna kind of apply all these like mistakes that I've made and I mean that's what my horoscope told me anyway (laughs) (laughs) so you're just memorizing what comes like what did they tell me (laughs) but I've read like I'm obsessed with astrology Mm. Um, but I've read so many things saying about how like you know, this year will be a very good year for you in terms of your, fi- like, finances and career. And for me, that's, like, one thing I've been trying to manifest into my life for many years now. So, I think for me, it's, like, a positive affirmation to kind of, like, really just work. Okay, so my son is an Aquarius. I love Aquarius. Um, my moon is a Virgo moon. And my rising is a Gemini. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, watching this YouTube video about yeah. reading the chart, at, at the, you know, the circle. And it's, like... Even the chart means things. And I found out that my life has been dictated by fate. <laughs> it's like, they say like, oh, it's like... Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, really? Like, it's quite cool lah. They said like, oh, you know, if it's on a certain side, it's like, you have more a bit more free will. And if it's like on this side, it's like, your life has... Your events in your life have been dictated by fate. 
but yeah, I feel like I feel like this year has been kind of like my spiritual awakening. Mm. I've kind of gotten in more into astrology, not because I believe I can like tell my future, but I think it helps me understand myself, why I react a certain way, why I get triggered by certain things. And because I use astrology as a tool to understand myself, I have learned um, about my own kind of like hurts and how to kind of navigate that and manage that and also kind of grow. It's like shedding like all these bad experiences and kind of learning. There's more to astrology than, oh, your sun sign. Yeah, correct, correct, so correct. So I always explain to that. I say, yeah, well, you are made up of so many different signs and maybe the way you deal with your emotions is different and it's very accurate. Yeah, I think so it's too. It's very accurate. I think so too. But I feel like at the same time, you don't have to like... I just take mm, it with a pinch of salt. Correct, like, like let yeah. it define you. I had so many different like things happen to me this year that I at one point I thought, oh my god, someone put a curse on me because all these things are happening mm. and coming out of nowhere. Like my school, like yeah, I graduated, but then because of my dissertation, I handed it in, but then the system was faulty, so I, it showed that I handed in late. So I had to down one increment. And I had an A minus on my dissertation, which I was very proud on. And because of that, they minus the increment, I got a second upper, not a first class, where I should have gotten a first class. You know, things like that. I had lumps, and then I, that was, for me was the biggest thing. I was so scared. And because I was feeling uncomfortable, and when she told me, oh, I think I need to refer you, I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. I really felt that way, yeah. you know? No, but health so scares are things, very... Yeah, health scares. Just so many things that you think, this is not possible for every all of this to happen in one year. You know, so many like friendship issues, like, just a lot. Mm. I, I got robbed mm. yeah I got like my boyfriend and I got robbed you know it's just so in weird in Paris? in London oh yeah yeah it's mm. been a shit year mm. <laughs> health scares is really like health scares are the, the worst, worst eh? yeah, yeah really wow coming for next year I know you know what I know that next year is going to be a good year for me I can feel it really <laughs> yeah you see it's a thing it's I can feel it's going to be a bad year for me like I, I yeah, just wait, don't know. say that don't say that <laughs> just protect yourself for me I struggled a lot this year and maybe that is the case for many other people out there who don't really vi- like verbally express that and maybe I just want to say like keep going for me right the one phrase that's always been helping me lifting me up is this phrase from this stupid Florence <laughs> the machine song is, it's always darkest before the dawn for me that's why I felt like this year was for me it's like really a tunnel um, and I have that tattooed on my body actually I got it when I was 20 and I think that has always been something that I think about when I feel like I'm going through a really hard time. Like, it's always darkest before the dawn. And I hope that 2020 will be the dawn for everyone, you know? Thank you so much for listening to us uh, ramble on today. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for supporting Something Private Pod. Yeah, man. Thanks. Bye. So to all of you tuning in, thanks for all your love and support for the podcast. I hope you guys have had a great 2019. And by great, I don't mean smooth sailing. I hope you have had an equal amount of good and bad times because only through bad times can we appreciate the good and only through good times can we realise that the bad times will soon tide over. Every year, you know, I hope for the same thing. And like, I actually pen this shit down every year in my journal. I always say to bring on the love, happiness, anger, sadness, jealousy, pain surprise and all the emotions on the spectrum of all the emotions and I hope that I can do better than I've been doing in previous years so with that happy new year to all of you guys listening to something private 
following us. I really, really am very thankful and I have nothing but love for all of you. So, see you guys next Monday.